0: Welcome to Marxist Voice, the podcast of Socialist Appeal, the British section of the International Marxist Tendency. My name is Josh Holroyd, and I'm joined tonight by Rob Sewell, editor of Socialist Appeal and the author of several books, including In the Cause of Labour, History of British Trade Unionism, and The Chartist Revolution, which he's kindly agreed to discuss with us tonight. So the book, Chartist Revolution, is coming out this Friday. And it focuses on the working class movement for the People's Charter, which we're obviously going to talk about in a moment, um, centred around the struggle for the vote for working class people. So the first question I wanted to ask really is what made you want to write about this period in the 19th century, this period of working class history today in 2020? What's the relevance for today?
1: Well, I would say that... um... When I began to write the book, which was uh, a good year ago, uh, the world economy was slowing down and um, there was talk of a new crisis. Of course, at the present time, uh, we see the deepest crisis for 300 years. Uh, the working class today is faced with a terrible crisis and it'll um, have you know, huge effects on living standards, on unemployment and the general conditions of the working class. And similarly, you know, in, in the early 19th century, the working class was faced with also a deep crisis in, in the birth pains of capitalism. As Marx explained, you know, that uh, capitalism came into being, dripping with blood and, and dirt from every pore. And uh, these conditions gave rise to uh, a revolutionary movement uh, at, the, at the turn of the, uh, of that century, hundred hundred what, nearly 200 years ago. Mm. And uh, I think we're entering in a a similar way, we're entering uh, a deep, uh, profound crisis and revolutionary implications in that crisis in Britain and elsewhere. I think it's quite relevant to uh, deal with this situation and draw out the lessons uh, for the working class today.
0: Sure. So learning about a revolutionary period in order to confront one, uh, which I find interesting because, I mean, chartism Chartism isn't very widely taught anyway even here in Britain, but even when it is taught, and even in the labor movement itself, it tends not to be presented so much in the way that you just described as a you know, revolutionary uh, period and a revolutionary movement. Um, certainly the way it's presented tends to be as a, a movement for the vote, for as a democratic movement. I suppose you might say a civil rights movement. Um, and perhaps you might say that there's a difference with today in that workers today do have the vote. Um, do, do you think that that's a, a fair characterization, or is that missing the point to an extent?
1: Well, of course, the Chartist movement was based on six, uh, six democratic demands uh, mm-hmm. of the Chart, obviously. Um, but you have to look much deeper than that and, re- and look at the context. And what strikes you really is that um, the histories of Chartism at uh, the present time and, the, and even in the past, really, was attempt, either they buried the Chartism or they distorted it. Really, as some some sort of um, portrayed it as some sort of liberal uh, movement for just simply for democratic reform, uh, which it was not. Uh, what do you have to understand was it uh, that this uh, great movement of Chartism arose? It was the revolutionary uh, awakening of the British working class. That's where you have to look at it. And uh, clearly, the the fight for the rights of the working class was a Fight. It was a means to an end. It wasn't an end in itself. You think that the cotton workers in Lancashire or the, uh, or the miners in, in Durham, which is simply, interesting in, 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 uh, in risking their lives and transportation and everything else, simply to put a, a cross on a bit of paper, then you, you, you're sorely mistaken. It was always seen as a means of a better life, of the overthrow of the conditions that they faced, which were terrible conditions of capitalism in effect, And the um, Chartist movement was it was a class conscious uh, movement, uh, fighting for a better life, fighting for a revolutionary change. And that's what inspired millions of workers. not simply uh, the demands of the Charter. I think a a, a Troubridge uh, (laughs) Chartist put it quite uh, uh, quaintly when he said uh, the Charter is not about fighting for bread. It's about uh, roast beef, plum pudding, plenty of beer and working three days a week. In other words, it was all bound up, yeah, all bound up to, the, to the social conditions of the working class. And that's the way it was seen by
0: the mass of people. I think what stands out for me there and something you just said is you have a, a, a rank and file chartist, a chartist worker talking about, yeah, plum pudding, but also a three-day week. And today, I think it was maybe 2019 this was announced, that the, the leadership of the TUC announced that their aim was for a four-day working week for British workers within the next hundred years. It seems almost like we've gone backwards compared to what you just mentioned. Um, And by the way, just to clarify something, you mentioned transportation before. It might not be clear to everybody listening what that actually means. That doesn't mean simply getting the train from Manchester to London, does it? No, 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 no. I mean, the
1: ruling class used uh, abominable measures against the working class, uh, which were defenceless. You know, they tried to set up trade unions and they were banned. They tried to set up uh, discussion circles, you know, to discuss uh, reform, uh, democracy, Implications of the French Revolution—you name it—and they were banned, and made it illegal, and, and out of desperation, the, you know, the working class, you know, chose different means to try and uh, forward for its uh, agenda to to escape from this uh, nightmare of of, of 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 capitalist crisis, and uh, therefore the, that's that's the reason why it had revolutionary overtones, is because that, uh, of the complete impasse and, and and the crisis that the working class faced at that time.
0: Mm. And it, and it didn't come from nowhere either, because talking about a movement for democracy, is a, I suppose, as a means to an end, but also repression, obviously there's the heritage of Peterloo as well, uh, where demonstrators calling for the vote, maybe not the six points of the charter, but certainly the vote for, for working people were, were murdered in the streets. Um, what other, do, are, are there other strands that you can discover in kind of the early nineteenth century that lead up to this point of um, uh, the the, uh, the uh, what was it called promulgation of the People's Charter in the thirties?
1: Well, perhaps just to supplement the point about uh, uh, the repression against the working class, again, it was this was the norm. You know, the mm-hmm. brutal uh, repression of the working class, and in, in, in any attempt to raise its voice or organize independently. You know, not, not just jail ins, but tra- yeah, transportation It means they'd be sent to the uh, penal colonies in, right. uh, in uh, Tasmania uh, for several years. Many people didn't, uh, didn't get there because well, I think about 20% died on, on the journey. It was such a, an arduous journey, the rationing, the terrible conditions. And of course, the, the threat of capital, capital punishment people were hanged, they'd get hanged, hang, drawn, and quartered uh, was, was still on the, on the books. And the ruling classes, it wasn't a very nice, not, not very, <laughs> the British ruling class was, was a very vicious ruling class. And were prepared to use any measures in order to, to, uh, to, to, to defend their privileges and defend their, their class, class rule. Of course, chartism was born out of struggles of the working class. It means that there was a struggle for trade unionism and they became revolutionary trade unions. They didn't make no bones about it. They were revolutionary trade unions in the early days. You had the had the, uh, uh, the Luddites who, who broke the machines because they were through desperation trying to to prevent the unemployment and, and the cuts in wages and they, they they lashed out. You feel like in that way to try and to uh, to protect themselves and their families. There was a turn to democratic reforms and trying to win the vote to some to find a way out in that way. And of course, at Peter that the the workers were, were cut down in, in cold cold blood. But you got different movements arising. You know. Or, um, you know, the impact of the French Revolution, it was like the, an impact of the Russian Revolution in the 20th century, you know, the, the American the War of Independence. All these things fed into the democratic, if you like, um, rights of the working class. The you know what they what they needed to seize power, to take power with, and um, uh, of course uh, the ideas of socialism were born in this country. You know, the ideas of Robert Owen, who is the first British socialist, uh, were, were 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 ideas uh, which which filled the chartist movement as well. You know. Uh, of, of uh, first of all, the, the, the Owens' uh, um, great service was a condemnation of capitalism and the ills of capitalism, and offering a new way forward of, of a cooperative form of society where there was no private ownership. He was against p- private ownership, and this uh, these ideas of socialist ideas and, and uh, gripped the minds, particularly the advanced uh, workers in Britain. So everything fed in the fight against the, the New Poor lawyer, You know the attempts of the, of, of the, the government to uh, to uh, force uh, those that were, were, in, were in dire need and poverty into the workhouses. It's the only way they could get any form of relief was to work in a workhouse, so breaking up stones and, and, and goodness knows what, making the, uh, uh sewing oak and, and, and uh, on the treadmills and so on of these, these, uh, these horrendous places. This, and, and there were movements again, mass movements were burnt down uh, in, in the Midlands, in the North, they burnt down the workhouses. These were mass movements, not like half a dozen people. You know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people were involved in a struggle at this stage over different things which began to coalesce in these ideas of chartism.
0: Mm, and to be honest, the struggle against the workhouse reminds me a lot about uh, 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 of the struggle against austerity today. In many ways, the austerity cuts against the working class are trying to make. Uh, kind of being out of work and having to turn for to the benefits or any kind of support, actually a fate worse than death in some respects And you see the desperation. So yeah. in that respect, there's there's a great deal of revel- relevance in this period. I well, wanted also. Did
1: to talk Did you? They had, if I could just interrupt. You have this the Victorian idea of the deserving poor then the yeah. undeserving poor. That's the whole point. And uh, the measures they took were well. You saw in. You read read Oliver. Well, Oliver, Oliver, yeah. <laughs> Oliver Twist. Sorry, yeah. right. wrong, wrong character. <laughs> uh, Dickens, and you could see in there the the, uh, the, the monstrous uh, conditions that the working class and the poor sections live under lived under at that time, and that's what that's what produced the revolt in the working class. That's mm. produced the changing consciousness of the working class.
0: And I wanted to talk a bit more about the uh, the petition itself, and well, the charter itself. You mentioned six points of the charter. And you mentioned in the book that Engels said that behind uh, that these six points, kind of as, as purely democratic as they seem on the surface, would be sufficient to overthrow the, the monarchy, the House of Lords, basically an entire British state. So I think it would be good to maybe spend a bit more time on these. First of all, what, what were the six points? So one of them was a vote for all, um, all men over 21 of sound mind yes. and not in punishment for a crime. in some ways actually relatively backwards to what we have now, but by the standards of the time, a revolutionary demand.
1: That's right. They had the right to vote. He had uh, the question of a a secret ballot, of payment of MPs, abolition of the property uh, uh, qualification for MPs, uh, equal electoral uh, districts or or constituencies, and uh, also annual parliaments. That's the one they never, they refused to implement. That was the most dangerous in their point of view. They could live with the others. Because they had the means of, of manipulating public opinion. Uh, that was later on. But of course they, they they fought against these demands. Why? Because of the pressures that exerted behind them, the, what stood behind them. And the ruling class knew they were they feared uh, Chartism like they feared Bolshevism in the 20th century. Why? Mm. Because they, they feared revolution, because they knew that the Chartist movement wasn't a, you know, a, a movement that was going to be placated with a few reforms here and there. It was a building up of, of, of millions of workers who were demanding a fundamental change to their working conditions and to their lives. And that posed a, a direct threat to the ruling class. And that's what they were terrified of, quite rightly so, because that's how the working class learned through these, this, these events and uh, through this, these, these struggles and this experience, they came to the, the realisation then that capitalism, that the, the existence of this, that form of society they lived under was the problem that had to be done away with and a rational form of society created in its place.
0: Mm. And so, yeah, you, you see these six demands, but all the context that you've just talked about briefly is swelling behind it. And so you see this kind of mass power of the movement. In terms of one thing that I, I wanted to clear up is, is another thing that's very famous about chartism. We, we're taught, it about, taught about, if we're taught about anything to do with chartism, is that it took the form of a series of petitions to Parliament, uh, roles of signature, signatures petitioning for the charter people's charter the six points to become the law of the land now those methods in themselves don't necessarily scream revolution uh, and of course the parliament rejected those petitions what um, you know in what way can you call this movement of presenting big petitions uh, revolutionary
1: well of course uh, the idea of a petition has been there for a long time in british history as, as in other countries uh, but the Chartists uh, adopted this, uh, this tactic and applied it in such a way as they'd never been applied before. The other, the other petitions were generally local petitions about this or that problem, this or that issue. Now they took up if like, uh, the demands of, of, of power, in a, in a sense, posing political power. And this petition wouldn't be a local petition. It would be the first time we have a national petition. So it was used as a means of going into every town, every village, every hamlet, involving millions of workers draw, if like using this as a propaganda weapon to stir up and to galvanize the working class into struggle. So the, the petition was, 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 was very, uh, the means, if you like, was very advanced, very revolutionary, brought into being, I would say, brought into um, activity, uh, millions of workers as a result. And of course, they looked to this idea, well, here's the, here's the, the voice of the people. This is the voice of the masses. And yet you saw the way in which they were treated with contempt of a rotten parliament, a rotten regime, a rotten system. That's the way they, they looked, at, looked upon it. And therefore, the, this petition was, was very valuable in, in mobilizing public opinion, the opinion of the, of, of the working class against the system of society itself and a focal point in which to galvanize the strength of this movement, which was quite incredible, a very heroic revolutionary movement, in my opinion.
0: Mm. And one, one point you draw out in the book is it wasn't just a petition, it it wasn't a passive thing, almost like you know you 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 sign up to a Change.org petition online, which you know has its has its purposes, but it wasn't quite like that. We're talking about mass assemblies of workers, and also the election of delegates who actually assembled in what they called a convention to kind of oversee the presentation of the petition. Would you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, so like this this period what, was was uh, burning with class struggle, should we say? Uh, I think the Hammond said it was uh, when you read this period it 's like you're reading a period about civil war mm. that's the kind of uh, class battles and struggle, class against class. they use the, the, the words of um, Ernest Jones, the, the Chartist uh, leader. and uh, we have to, have to have to see the struggle in this kind of uh, uh, context. this uh, the movement actually the Chartist movement it, 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 it arose it was a small meeting in London. And yet from this very tiny, it was like the, it was like the, the, the spark that, that, that let the, let, let the flame, which, let the, which, which caused a massive blaze, if you like, that was the, the whole thing. And um, they, yeah, they, they, they become a mass movement. They needed to mobilize the masses. And therefore they called these mass rallies, mass movements everywhere. And uh, you're not talking about, uh, you know, a 10,000 or a, a 50, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of workers being mobilised into these demonstrations. I know we, we look at the Corbyn movement in the past period, and uh, I, even that, I think they, they would put the Corbyn movement uh, into the shade. Hmm. I mean, in Curstal in Mall, near Manchester, I believe it is, the the, the meeting they had was 500, 000, um, half a million workers wow. who came from the, the factories after work. Women, children, their families turned out of course, there's no microphones in those days, and they, but these are held on hillsides, on the side of, of these hillsides. And the oratory was, uh, was uh, such as to um, you know, win the masses to this revolutionary overturn in society. And uh, through these mass meetings, they elected delegates to the convention, the Charter's Convention. Of course, the word convention has a very uh, revolutionary flavor to it, you know, as with the French Revolution and the French Convention. And it was purposely chosen for that uh, point of view. Uh, and delegates were elected uh, from these mass meetings to this uh, assembly this this i call it describe it as a as a, a, a like a, a labor parliament or a workers parliament it was an alternative government in that in fact which debated and discussed out the tactics and strategy of how to win the charter and how to how to change society so um you know, yes, so it was a mass movement involving this, this central f- focal point of, of a, a convention, a leadership, if you like, of the working class, uh, which debated the way forward to, to, uh, to secure the aims of the charter itself. And these delegates had to go back to the, to the mass meetings as well. You had this, this democracy that was there in mm. the movement, and they could be changed if they if they're out the line or they, they, were, they weren't uh, you know, uh, expressing the viewpoints of the masses sufficiently. So it was a very democratic movement, you know, in that, in that sense, and a very advanced movement, because within this, these conventions, they discussed, you know, revolutionary tactics, revolutionary strategy that they'd never discussed before in British history. You know, the question of, of power for the working class was posed for the first time ever, because they had the young, this is a young virgin working class in Britain. They haven't got the conservative ideas, you know, or, you know and, and, and baggage of the past, and they were prepared to look for any means that would secure their particular objectives. Of course, the ruling class were again were opposed to that, and they did everything that they that they could do in order to defend their privileges. So it was a. That's why I give it, it its, its revolutionary overtones and its character, and it, it questions things that things had never been questioned before. And uh, these are the. This is the the change in consciousness is taking place in the masses and in the leadership of the chartist movement. And now they become well, we know this debate between. Different tra- trends within uh, chartism itself, between physical forced chartism and moral forced chartism, as the way forward. So it was, it was a yeah a workers parliament to, to fight to find a way forward.
0: I, I think this is really significant because just to try and picture it. I mean, if you're saying that there were 500,000 people listening to a single speech at Curse-Mall, that's basic. That's roughly the entire membership of the Labour Party in a single place listening to one person talking about. Um, class against class against class war, effectively electing delegates to so what you've described as a, a workers' parliament. mean, uh, with with uh, kind of uh, the with delegates actually being accountable to the masses as well. I mean, this sounds this sounds like the the beginnings of, of workers' power, really, of, of dual power in the country, even. And do you think that there is an analogy that can be drawn with I mean, 1917, basically, in the All Russian Congress of Soviets?
1: Yes, it, within Chartism, mean, it's like an embryo of of, of different uh, movements, you know, of the working class, and they're feeling their way forward. And of course, um, that's why you get pa- different parallels and similarities within other revolutionary uh, tendencies and movements. But uh, to, I mean, to give you the scale of it, uh, you know, there's a quote by uh, Fergus O'Connor, who, who was considered the the main uh, leader of of Chartism, um, and uh, he said he he addressed. About a million people, in the space of a week or so, in, in relation to, to the mass meetings that he had uh, he had addressed, a million people. Given the fact that the the population as a whole was about fifteen million, you can imagine the 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 scope of Chartism that 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 went to, you know uh, everywhere. It had it, its tentacles everywhere. It, it affected everyone. And that's why it became a, a real mass uh, movement. Yes, the, the, the convention, uh, around, well, the convention itself, it met it first first time in the beginning of 1839, mm-hmm. was certainly parallel. got parallels with with a, like a Soviet, insofar as is working class tendencies are there, present, debating and discussing out uh, the key que- questions of the day and how they can be achieved. Um, and it's a remarkable. Well, you listen to the if you read about the debates that took place uh, there, are on an extremely high level. And uh, people joined the movement, you know, they weren't uh, careerists. You know, they weren't place seekers. People who joined the movement were were, were dedicated to fight for the interests of, of, of working people. They were prepared to make the greatest sacrifices ever. And uh, they, they connected with the working class. That's the point about it. And the more they connected, the more militant they became, the more uh, they spoke to the workers. The more militant the workers became, it was like a, a dialectical mm. process going on here. Changing con- the, the, the 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 chartist leaders they, uh, urged the 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 masses to be armed to get arms. This is not going to be a a tea party, they said. You need arms to confront the British state, and uh, they they did arm and the uh, arms even in in the in the mass meetings. I know that uh, the Reverend. Uh, uh, um, who, who, who led uh, uh, Stevenson? Who led the the main uh, uh, demonstration towards uh, uh, Kersal uh, Moor and spoke there? He called uh, not just for the army of the working class, but appealed to everybody there to fire their arms, you know, to discharge <laughs> what they had. You know what what kind of arms have you got? He raised their and They, they fired a few shots, and uh, then then they. Uh, he said well is that all you got and and more sort of, and then was, this was stirring up the, the, the ferment in the masses they were responding to him he was responding to them and all the church charges were, were leaders were doing this they were they were connecting with the real movement of the working class a militant revolutionary movement in the working class which was prepared this, this to,
0: raises quite an, an important point i think you mentioned earlier about moral force and physical force obviously what you're describing here is is part of the, the physical force wing. But why I think it's so important is that today in Britain, a picture of, of British workers, in this case, English workers further, firing arms into the sky and, and basically threatening the, the, the government with you know, forcible overthrow, it's completely alien to the picture of the British and particularly English working class that's that's painted. And something I've encountered, you know, friends, comrades in the movement who felt a certain like demoralisation rego- uh, following the 2019 election results saying, oh, is it is it something about, you know, that the French have this revolutionary tradition? Why is it the English, are uh, you know, I, I don't know, so, so passive? I think one thing that I found so inspiring about the book and about kind of what you're explaining here is that just completely it does away with that. It, it exposes it as a complete fiction, because this is our history, isn't it? As British workers. and Well, as workers generally, but as British, British workers, this is our history. But, um, what, what, one thing that I wanted to ask about in particular, is you've talked about you've you mentioned moral force and physical force. Um, could you uh, briefly explain what the two different positions were? So presumably what united them was both wanted the People's Charter to become law of the land. That's why they were in the same movement. But what divided them? And what, were th- what was the, uh, the balance of uh, you know, the relationship of forces between those two camps?
1: Well, originally, as I said, the, the Charters movement started off in a very small way. And those who dominated it at that time, we could consider we, were a moral force Charters. So they believed that they could persuade, you know, uh, people and persuade the government through to moral persuasion, you know, through, through argument and so on and so forth. Uh, and if you like, they, they were a bit of, if you want to put it that way, a bit of a reformist wing. You know that they, you know, gradually, they, although I would say they were, they were far great, they had more courage than, the, than today's reformists. Uh, I think they're on a different level. But nevertheless, that's the kind of idea: the idea of of of, um, of, of persuading uh, uh, people to to change their minds and so on and so forth, and and cool down the language. You don't need all this rhetoric and so on and so forth. And um, they hoped that they could, through that, those means, they could persuade the ruling class in order to, all, to introduce these particular measures. Um, on the other hand, you had the, the, the physical force charges, which grew in number with the growth of the movement itself. As the movement grew into a mass movement of working class people in the North, Wales, everywhere else, then it took on a far more um, revolutionary uh, uh, um, connotation, and with it, the domination of the physical force chart swing. And they had very, their language is very violent. They didn't believe in, in, in of course, their, their argument was for the working class. Their, their argument was to persuade the, persuade the working class to challenge for power. You know, they would, pretend, they would present the petition, but they didn't have much faith that the, the ruling class in Britain were going to grant those concessions. Mm. And therefore they said, well, if they don't grant, then what are we going to do? Uh, well, are we just going to sit back and just uh, talk about it? And they said, "No, we need to, to challenge them, even with force of arms, if need if need be, in order to uh, ensure that the char- chart is, is successful." And uh, but the, these two wings, if you like, the, the mm. chart, this physical force chart, is became much, much, much more powerful as events, uh, you know, within a couple, within a relatively short period of time, they became the dominant force of the movement. Um, but they did unite the movement under the slogan of, um, you know, uh, peacefully. Uh, if we may forcibly, if we must, and that kind of, uh, you could read into that whatever you wanted to, you know, and uh, mm. and, and that's what happened. But there's clearly the, the more the proletarian base of the part of the party grew, of, of chartism grew, the more physical force chartism dominated the whole scene. In other words, the revolutionary side, if you like, as opposed to reformism, it was a revolutionary side, a, a proletarian side that dominated chartism, and that's the thing is buried completely. Yeah, like the, the histories, the so-called histories, which I don't want to mention this, and where they talk about revolution. Well, it didn't happen. You know, it was it was utopian then, uh, and 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 by reference, it's utopian now. That's the basic idea. Rather than understanding there was a revolutionary movement, why did it fail, and there are lessons to be learned in order to be a successful revolution for the future. That's the way you should look at it. Mm. But no, for them, it's
0: it's out of the question. But uh, so you mentioned you mentioned lessons, and you, you mentioned that although by the summer of 1839, the physical force Chartists were basically in charge. And this is a movement of certainly over a million people who signed this petition. And yet you don't see, the charter doesn't become law of the land and you don't see the successful overturn of the British state. Uh, and I suppose it's a bit of a big question as to why did all this happen? But what with the con- convention specifically, the, the petition was of course rejected by parliament, which probably came as a surprise to nobody. What briefly, what happened next? Did, did they, did they um, try to launch a, a, an attempt to overthrow the government or, or what?
1: Well, uh, they, they, uh, at this time, they, they,
0: they discussed
1: yeah, what, what should be done. And um, if you like, the left wing of the movement, um, but for the idea that there needed to be an insurrection against the government. You couldn't, uh, there was no way out. They weren't going to grant anything. There had to be an armed insurrection against the British government and the overthrow of the British state. The only way of, of, of uh, securing the, the charter. Uh, and and, and sorry, very quickly, the moral force charters, many from Birmingham resigned at this stage. Not all of them, but a large proportion of them resigned. And the, and the debate in, in, in the um, convention was about uh, the means. A general strike was the first one. And this idea was a, I'd been born in, in Britain in, in the 1830s. It, it arose particularly when a man uh, by, called Benbow, William Benbow who for the first time raised this idea of because it's, look, capitalism emerged in Britain for the first time. There was a new working class, the first working class in the world. And therefore, these ideas were new. A general strike was new. And it, came, it was raised in a sort of peculiar way, the idea of a, a holy month. You know, let's, let's go on strike for a whole month and that should be sufficient to collapse the, 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 the regime. Um, and these ideas were uh, were vividly dis- discussed and, and supported, and that's the point. They were supported. The idea of a general strike in 1839 was supported by the assembly, by the by the convention, and the, uh, others. Others were on the left wing, like a man called Julian Harney, believed you know that um, you know there should be a strategy. You know they could use democratic means. They could even stand in general the general election. General elections were called in Britain. Of course, they were they were a, they were a sideshow because they were. It was uh, it's a handful of people voted for a handful a handful of people but in the in the in the actual uh, um, general election itself where there was hustings and meetings and so on you were able to put forward your own candidates and the charters they said that the charters should put forward our candidates and everywhere they did this they won by, ha- by a by show of hands but the thing is the people who came they didn't have the vote they came and you're not talking about 10 people or 15 people. Thousands of people, tens of thousands of people came to these meetings and they had, they could vote that with their hands, a show of hands. But of course, it didn't count because they didn't have the real vote. And therefore, you know, the uh, those who were defeated, that is the, the liberals and the, and, the, and the Tory candidates would say, we want the official vote. Now we've done this. We want to. Mm. And they would get the official vote. They would be elected. But the idea was they should have, they should win their votes all over the country and they should march on London. There should be a million people in London marching on London. Uh, they, they, they competed like the saint culottes in, 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 uh, in, in the French Revolution. You know, it was to be led by, the, by an armed uh, uh, um, uh, force of, of chartists involving a million people marching on Parliament. And if Parliament didn't disperse then, they should be caught and thrown into the Thames. That's the, that was the, the, the idea. But these wow. are the vivid ideas. But they supported a general strike. Unfortunately, it didn't work out in practice, you know, there, there, there was confusion in, 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 in the Charter's leadership, and those who were, there were some people who opposed it, that there, there was a lot of to and fro in and so on, and as a result, in 1839, there was supposed to be a general strike, but uh, uh, for the 12th of August it was called for, but this was basically called off and and, and made into a two-day strike, which, mm-hmm. which uh, you know, didn't affect uh, anything really it didn't make any any difference but uh, and it was a bit of a letdown and people started to draw radical conclusions if that if a general strike is not going to be called then we got to take uh, things into our own hands and the idea of an insurrection was born under those circumstances
0: right and of course there was an attempted insurrection in 1839 as well in in november we're approaching another anniversary of the new famous newport rising and so was this Uh, sometimes it's difficult uh, looking at it to see whether this was the the kind of the the thwarted beginning of a nationwide insurrection or just an expression of frustration after a defeat. Do you you think it's possible to choose between those things or do you think it's a combination of both? And um, I mean, first of all, what happened in Newport for people who aren't familiar? Very briefly.
1: Well, in Newport on the 3rd of November, there was an attempt, uh, an attempted insurrection. Well, there was an insurrection. It involved about 20, 30,000 uh, colliers and steel workers, iron workers, who marched to, ta- to, to seize the town of Newport. And uh, Newport was a very important uh, sort of hub, if you like, uh, for industry and trade and so on at, at that time. Uh, but the, the main aim was to secure the release of a Chartist leader, of um, Henry Vincent, who was, had who was, been arrested. He was a key leader of the, of the Welsh uh, Chartists, and uh, he was arrested and imprisoned in Newport uh, prison. And therefore, the plan was that, uh, again, the, I would, the plan was just to, to seize the town, release him, but it would be, it would be the spark for a, for, a world, for, a, for a national insurrection to overthrow the government. That's the, that's the essence of it. And um, uh, uh, there were plans afoot in other areas, in, in, in Derbyshire, in, in Yorkshire, uh, uh, in, in order to carry through uh, a revolutionary insurrections in these, in these particular areas too. Um, but the plans uh, obviously were kept uh, secret because the, the, the movement was, was penetrated by all sorts of informers and spies and so on and so forth. And uh, the, the government was prepared to use these kinds of methods to arrest people and imprison them. So they tried to keep it as much as possible and, and, and under wraps. But at the same time, yes, I mean, this, this was the first uh, major confrontation, armed confrontation Mm. with the British state, the biggest confrontation, I would say, on, on, on home soil of any of, of the British government. is an incredible um, movement. It was defeated. There was the tactics uh, uh, that they employed. Uh, between, uh, to, well, I don't want to go the ins and outs. It's very difficult to ins and outs, given the, given the time we've got, but they tried mm. to release uh, certain charters to been arrested in the, in the Westgate Hotel in the centre of, uh, of Newport. But the, the troop, they had troops waiting, well, and then they, they opened fire on, on the demonstrators and on the on the on the chartists, and they killed I think twenty twenty two of them most probably would like, to have, to have died, um, and they should have waited really and prepared the ground uh, more probably if you were from a tactical point of view, uh, but they they rushed us to, to release their 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 comrades who had been been been, been arrested.
0: I suppose so, you're saying that this was basically the first time this had been tried. They had nothing to go on. Um, yes. that they were trying. They were They were pioneers, weren't they? They were trying to overthrow the, the first capitalist state in history, the first time ever. Uh, so I guess in, the, in hindsight, we can see these mistakes, but it, it must have been re- really impossible to penetrate that fog at the time and give them that credit.
1: Yes, I mean, look, you could say the chartists were giants insofar as they, mm. they, they were they were the pioneers. They, they, did, they had little to go on, of course. Behind them, they had the, the, the French Revolution and, and the American Civil yeah. Revolution. But uh, as far as the workers' revolution was concerned, there was no no precedent at all. And they were they were feeling their way forward. And they took very bold steps. That's the point about it. Oh. They, were, it, it, it they did get quite close, I would say. And uh, you look at the, the, the writings of the ruling class of the period, they were terrified that there would be a successful revolution in Britain at that time. And uh, they, 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 they mobilised the, the military uh, against the, the, the workers, you know, and they, they mobilised the state apparatus, particularly against the, the workers at every uh, point. But um, the workers fought back in an in in extremely in courageous uh, fashion. And the you know the leaders yeah they may have, they had faults I could say that but good God they had, they had courage they had the land they had they had the guts to carry through through the uh, measure of, of this nature it's a pity that some of the you know, I would say this, some of the present day Labour leaders could do with a bit of the the fire if you like of the of the Chartists and uh, clearly they 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 meant business but unfortunately they didn't have a completely worked out uh, strategy or idea they didn't know how fully how to 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 use the potential they had in their hands for, to carry it through to a conclusion. That was the, the sad uh, point about it. But they tried, they tried and tried. Yeah, know? and
0: they, they tried again. There was uh, We don't really have time to go into it in detail, but we you already brought up this question of the general strike. OK, it didn't happen in 1839, but effectively a national political general strike did take place in 1842, didn't it? Uh, that, that It became known as the plug plot. Um, and... I, I, sometimes the way people treat this, when it is talked about, is it was kind of just an accident, really, or that it was about wages. Um, would you agree with that assessment, or do you do you see this as as a strike for the charter?
1: Well, it is a very important episode in the history of chartism, uh, you know. And what happened was was that. Uh, the chart, the chartists uh, were conducting a lot of propaganda in the factory areas and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. particularly in, in 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 Manchester and around the Manchester area. And Many were chartists, isn't it? It was a mass movement. Um, but of course, the the initial, uh, if like, spark for the movement was a was cu- a cut of twenty five percent in wages of the uh, cotton workers, and that and, and that uh, uh, if like was the first the first uh, the outbreak of the strike. Right. But very quickly, when they, uh, you know, very very quickly. I mean, literally, uh, as they marched out of the gates, they they cheered for the for the charter, for uh, Fergus O'Connor, the leader of Chartism, uh, uh, of the of the Northern Star, the Chartist paper. It was a Chartist general strike. There's no two ways about it. But it did come from below, but it had been pre- also fed into by the Chartist propaganda itself of the of the time, and. Uh, of all, of, of all the main speakers I think the recorded speakers' about 45 46 recorded speech speeches at the time. every single one of them apart from two were given by Chartists right and uh, when, when the, the, the workers came together in these mass strike uh, um, meetings they, they pledged themselves to the charter. when there was a workers or um, trade union conference called by the, by the in Manchester of the, of the trades, they debated what was the real aim of the strike. And the vast majority, the vast majority, there was a strike to bring, to bring about the Charter. Of course, they're in favour of
0: wages and wage increases as well. But the Charter, the Charter, that was it. It's worth pointing out, isn't it, as you've already explained, that to say we're going out on strike indefinitely for the Charter doesn't simply mean we'd like the vote. This is basically a strike for workers' power, isn't it? This is a strike to change the state and basically introduce workers' democracy and workers' control over society.
1: Well, you know workers learn through experience and a strike itself is an embryo revolution isn't it? Mm-hmm. in effect you know workers don't go to work they're, they're, this is not the normal situation and, and and not only that it was a strike that spread it spread throughout the, the whole of uh, of Manchester Lancashire Lancashire went up to Scotland down into Wales down into cornwall it was a it was and it was a political strike this was an incredible uh, event the, the first general strike in the history of the working class a political general strike. And they learned, as you would find, in the base, every single day, the workers were learning and learning and feeling their power. And they set up committees and the committees were able to set, decide what work was going to be done, what, what wasn't going to be done. Employers had to come to the committee to ask what, what rights they had and what they didn't have and what they could do and what they couldn't do. This no, was workers' not. power in action, and as a matter of fact. The basis, if it had been pulled together, yes. Of a of a of a of a worker state, but that's yeah. the end. if like everything is an embryo, it's, it's the embryo is, is developing. What you needed is, is is to be linked up nationally, and the charters leaders needed to play a key role. But like even they didn't fully understand. They didn't call the strike. They didn't fully appreciate. They give it support. It is true, but uh, it's, they didn't really fully understand what what was in their hands, the potential in their hands, and mm-hmm. therefore. Without the, you know, it can't go on forever. People are going to be starved back to, for work, to, to work. And, 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 and an opportunity which could have been there, it was there for the, for the taking, was missed, unfortunately. Again, it's because mm-hmm. of the naivety. I mean, Marxism wasn't around then. Scientific socialism wasn't around then. They were feeling their way. Yeah. They did very well, but they didn't go far enough. We have to understand that. But it showed the potential that was there, and the potential movement of the British working class to carry out a revolution was certainly there in 1842. There's no two ways about that.
0: Now, you mentioned Marxism wasn't there. And yeah, as you've already said, Chartism uh, predates Marxism, uh, well, at least to, to the, for the most part. So just briefly, and this is a, we're already running out of time. So just this is kind of the last kind of thought that I'd like us to, to explore before we sadly have to end the, the podcast. What, what is the relationship between Chartism and Marxism? Are they basically just two dis- discrete blocks in the movement, or is there a, a, an interconnection between the two?
1: Well, look, f- firstly, you know, Marxism is a science, and, and you could say that Marxism was a, a combination of the, of, the, of the best ideas, the most brilliant ideas of the time. You know, it came from, you know, German philosophy, Uh, British bourgeois economics, classical economics, and and French socialism. Those those are the three roots, if you like, of Marxism. But on top of that, you must say that uh, uh, Marxism is, is a development from the experience of the working class itself. You know, uh, Marx developed his ideas on the state, for instance, with an understanding of, of what happened in France and the French and the, in the mm. Commune of 1871. The, Engels uh, w- was a Chartist. Engels was, was here in 1843, met, met with the Chartist leaders. He joined the Chartist movement. He wrote a book on the, on the conditions of the working class in, in England in 1844. He observed the, 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 how the working class moved, how it developed, how consciousness changed in the working class. Um, and then with those things, you drew lessons from that, which is Marxism. Marxism draws out the lessons into theory and understanding, not just one episode, but from all over. But nevertheless, Chartism at that stage was a real, I feel like, a, 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 a school for the, for, the, for the working class. And, and therefore, it was a very rich experience for Marx and Engels, who gave support to the Chartist movement, and hoped to, to guide the chart, which he did, through, through their connections with Julian Harney, and Ernest Jones, which would be, would be the leaders of the movement, uh, they ha- gave it a, a, you know, a very revolutionary um, uh, socialist outlook. Unfortunately, this was about 1850, where you had the decline of Chartism, you know, that's the point, and the, and the emergence and development of British capitalism, which cut across the entire process. But nevertheless, it just showed that uh, uh, that Marxism, I was able to connect with the, the key layers of the Chartist movement. They learned from it. After all, Julian Harney published the Communist Manifesto in his paper, you know, the Red Republican in 1850. Uh, um, you know, uh, uh, many conversations and, and, and was, it was in solidarity with, with the, the international and so on and so forth. Um, and therefore there are, yes, lessons to be learned that the British workers instinctively came very close to Marxism, you know, the labour theory of value, the class struggle, the, the, you know, the, the nature of the state and so on. All these things were being drawn in Britain at this particular time. It was about a of a call down for these ideas, it was about a school for these ideas. And therefore, this helped, of course, Marx and Engels to, uh, to refine and develop their ideas as well. There's no doubt about it. So rather than saying, oh, you know, Marxism is an alien to Britain and uh, you know, foreign creed and mm-hmm. all the rest of this, is not, not the nonsense, it actually, uh, many of the elements were born in the British experience, as a matter of fact. And therefore, you know, we, uh, and what we should understand is yes, that Chartism was a tremendous revolutionary movement. But what it really lacked was that was that scientific, if like, program of Marxism. To guide it through to, the, to its logical conclusion. It came too late, and therefore we could say that we stand on the shoulders of the, of the great pioneers of the, of the Chartist movement, no doubt about it, all their revolutionary traditions and initiatives, but Marxism gives us that extra edge in which to, to learn the lessons and be able to understand how to carry through uh, and bring about the fundamental change of society that the Chartists wanted, in other words,
0: socialism in Britain and socialism internationally. Well, thanks very much, Rob. I think that this is an appropriate and inspiring place to finish. Sadly, we have to finish anyway for lack of time. But it sounds to me like there are a lot of lessons contained in this experience of Chartism and, and in, in the book itself. Uh, and I, I would certainly urge, I, I've, I've uh, had the opportunity to read it and I certainly recommend any Labour movement activist in this country, certainly any Marxist in this country and abroad, uh, get a copy. You can get a copy for £12 now from Well read and give it a read because I think there's a lot of experiences and lessons buried in that that we need to, we need to unearth and reintroduce into the Labour movement. So I hope you've all enjoyed the podcast. We're going to have to leave you now. But until next time, see you later. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Marx's Voice. You can subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes or any major podcast provider. Or visit our website at www.socialist.net. And if you're able to, please donate or subscribe online and help support us in the struggle for socialism.